According to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, the employment of umpires, referees, and other sports officials is expected to grow by an average of 32% between 2021 and 2031, which is much faster than the average for any other occupations. Over the next decade, there are expected to be an average of 3,600 job openings for all sports officials across the industry thanks to retirements or people transferring careers and the need to replenish the stock of officials. With the eyes and the ears of sports fans from all across the globe peeled on officials and the impact they have on the outcome of games, the mental health of the officiating profession needs to be put into sharper focus to ensure that the officials and those they impact are treated fairly and to ensure that the officiating profession and the people who choose to engage in it are fairly treated and evaluated both from a professional and mental health standpoint. Nathan Sherrod is committed to making sure that the people with the whistles, the officials, are in the correct mental state of mind to perform at their highest level of capability and to make sure that they produce a fair, accurate, and non-biased performance as officials. Sherrod is an active football referee in England with a story that he uses to inspire people of all ages to get excited about sports, refereeing, and living life with an equal and inclusive perspective at the heart of everything they do. Sherrod serves as the managing director of the third team where he makes sure that referees of all sports are aware of everything surrounding resilience, mental health, and mental toughness and endurance to ensure that they can perform at the highest level of their capabilities and share it. Join me this week to tell me more. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Nathan, if you're ready, I'll take a moment to welcome you uh, to the program, and I'm super excited to talk to you about sports, mental health, and officiating. Great to 
See you today, and uh, hello from across the pond, my friends. Thanks, Kevin. It's a real delight to be with you. Absolutely. Now, and Nathan, I know that your sort of pride and joy is working with officials primarily to help them through uh, their mental health journey and their toughness as well. So I'm wondering if you can tell me about all the good work that you do surrounding mental health and making sure our officials are in the correct state of mind. Well, as you know, Kevin, obviously, it's a very, very difficult role being an official of any sport, really. Uh, you know, we have some really, really uh, challenging um, games, some challenging teams. There's there's never probably, uh, you know, an easy ride for any official in any sport. And so one of the things that I always work with my officials on is, is, is whatever areas that they feel it. So I work with newly qualified officials who are starting in the grassroots levels of the games. I also start working with officials who... Um, you know, are, are trying to climb the ladder to, to get to a more professional level or a higher level of, of their sports. And I'm also working with international officials. So I'm working with international basketball officials at the moment. I'm working with international uh, football officials. I'm working with guys who are operating at the top level that are, that are traveling and, and doing it as a permanent job role for them every day uh, of the week. And, and, and it's a real challenge and a variety of challenges. And one of the things that I love so much, Kevin, about the actual job is that I get to meet so many people, even like yourself, Kevin, in 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 the USA and and other countries around the world. You know, I get a window into other people's worlds and into how sports work in in other people's countries and things like that. And it and it constantly keeps me refreshed. And you know, you asked me about mental health. I think that for me, mental health is something that I'm really, really deeply passionate about. Um, and it's something that I'm working incredibly hard with my officials to help them work on because I think that, you know, one of the things that we've, we've really, really given um, a lot of thought and a lot of time to, um, you know, in what I've done is to make sure that the people are okay, that people are well, that people are doing, you know, what they need to be doing to maintain a good level of mental fitness. Because as, as we, we've, as I mentioned there, you know, uh, officiating is very, very mentally taxing, you know, you can be on a pitch with 20, 15, 20, 11, whatever sport you, you officiate, people who all want a piece of you, all want you to make decisions that favour them, and it can be incredibly mentally taxing. So we need to look after people as much as helping them perform well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Nathan, I don't need to tell you that uh, all eyes are on officials during a game. Uh, and as you said, they want uh, their the appropriate uh, outcome for their side of the fence, my friend. So tell, tell me about the mental sort of tax that you think officials uh, pay because all eyes are on them and the pressure of the job is when. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think that, that one of the real challenges that we have, Kevin, is that we, we, have, to, we have to be seen to to be perfect and i think that one of the things that i find very very difficult is that society has this expectation that a 14 year old who's a football or soccer as you guys might say in the us referee qualifying for the first time is going to be able to get every single decision correct immediately straight away and that 
you know, they're going to be perfect. But of course, we don't expect this of a 14 year old boy who's playing youth football, who's learning the game as they are developing through the age groups, 14, 15, 16 years old. People don't look at referees developing in that way. They just see a referee and expect them to be able to get every decision right, whether it's their first game or their thousandth game. And, you know, this kind of um, pressure and mental tax, it drives many, many officials to actually walk away, hang up their whistles or whatever device they use to control the game every, 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 every year. And it's very, very sad that, that we have these unfair expectations on match officials. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Nathan, I'm coming to you today from uh, Canada, actually. And, and as you work with um, international officials, there are different rules uh, for different countries and different sports. So tell me about how mentally sharp you think officials have become in order to sort of absorb that information and how uh, impressed you are that they're able to accomplish uh, such a feat because I know it's a talent, isn't it? It's a talent, but it's also, you know, it's very true that, you know, to be honest, I, I, I could retire if if I had a pound for or a dollar or if for every time somebody said to me, you know, I couldn't do what you do as, a, as an official. But the reality is, you know, I, I look at the, the, the level of professionalism that's coming into officiating of all sports now. You know, people used to see officials as volunteers, people who were sort of secondary to the game. But now people are realising that if you're going to have professional athletes in sports, then the official need to be professional too, so that they can prepare as diligently as the players and the other participants within the game. So these things are really, really important. And what actually I find is really, really important to to not forget is the level of dedication that it actually takes you know you you, you have officials that are traveling you know 200 300 miles in the middle of the week when they have full-time jobs uh you know maybe have a wife and children at home or commitments at home um and they are doing that for the love of the game but doing it to get as far as they can with officiating and that um sacrifice when they get to the top is is great, but there's a lot of guys who never get to the top who always think about, you know, they are doing it because they love it, not because it it it, it they're going to get to the top or get any fame or recognition. It's because they they love the game and they maybe you know like like I am I'm I'm a football or soccer uh, referee, and a lot of the guys who you know I know are very very similar to me they also were not good enough to play like I was not good enough to play and then I was I decided that I love the game so much I want to officiate it and there's a lot of people who are also in that position yeah absolutely and uh and Nathan I know you work with officials to help them sort of level up their performance so I'm wondering if you can go into detail on exactly what what does it mean to level up your performance as an official in your opinion i think it's about having an open mind and having having that vision to be able to say you know i i want to um get to the next level i want to improve myself i'm open-minded to self-development because if you think that you know it all and that you've got nothing else to learn or take on board then that's where life becomes incredibly difficult because you you're not in a position where you're actually able to, you know, take on board the things that you need to and be, 
be prepared to be open-minded enough to actually, you know, basically improve. That That is the long and short of it, Kevin. You, you need to be open-minded and you need to be able to see the gaps in your performance levels in order to be able to want to improve and to be able to, be, to improve. So I think that that is a real part of what we talk about levelling up is, is being vulnerable enough to accept some of your weaknesses, but also at the same time being able to say, do you know what? I, I'm I'm good at this, but I can improve on that, and that's what it's going to take. Because quite often, when you get to a certain level in it, in 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 a in a specific sport that you're trying to officiate, we're talking about the real one percent that make that real difference in terms of breaking through the ceiling and being able to be promoted to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And and Nathan, you know, I'll, I'll share just a little bit about myself, my friend. So I originally went to school to become a, a sports reporter because as I uh, shared with you, my friend, I was born with uh, what's called uh, spastic quadriplegia cerebral palsy. I've dealt and lived with that all of my life. And one of, one of the reasons I wanted to become a sports reporter is because I uh, believe that sports is one of the greatest bonding agents that can bring all people of all abilities uh, to get together, regardless of where you come from or the background that you've been given in life. So talk to me about how you believe that sports is a bonding agent that can bring people together as well, as well and uh, positively affect their mental health. Well, I think it's a, you know it's a really wonderful thing, Kevin, and I've got to you know I've got to commend you because you're out there. You're an ambassador for people who may have cerebral palsy and actually want to be involved in in sport and report on sport. And you know you've got a passion and a love for sport that that means that you want to report on it. So you know I I think that you're a fantastic ambassador for that. But I you know I have to talk about myself as well in this. You know because what we're talking about here is I'm talking to you. You know. With, we, we, obviously, you talked about your cerebral palsy. I, I, I'm autistic, and I, I'm on the autistic spectrum. And you know, for me, being able to referee and being able to work referees and being involved and in working in sport, it's not a barrier for me. So I, I think it's a really positive thing that you and I can almost do together on this podcast. Is sort of saying, look, you know, we are not neurotypical. We are not white. We are not men, middle-aged men. Sport is for everybody. Sport is something that is inclusive of everyone and everybody can be a part of it. And it brings people to to um, to life. You know, what you are actually reporting on in terms of all the different sports and things like that. One of the things that I've really noticed is that some of the most diverse workplaces in the world are professional sports clubs. OK, they have people from all over the world. You think about Premier League football clubs in England. You know, where there's Asian, African, North American, South American, Australasian players all in one dressing room. You know, these are the most diverse workplaces in the world and they show what can be achieved. We still have an awful long way to go in terms of disability because we need to have more inclusion for disability. Um, but we've made a reasonable start. There is much more to do, much further to go. But we still have achieved an awful lot and we need to continue that journey of, of bringing people together and creating diverse workplaces and diverse environments and not just in sports clubs, in universities, in other institutions, in our towns and cities and now 
regions is really, really, really important for going forward in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Nathan, as you and I both know, that uh, July signals uh, National Disability Pride Month. So tell me, my friend, why do you think, think having months like this is significant? And what do you think the month means to you to celebrate pride and dis disability at the same time? I think, unfortunately, sometimes people um like ourselves through stereotypes and people not being informed and not knowing what it really means to be autistic like me or to have cerebral palsy like you we can be pushed to the margins of society because of an, uh, really an ignorance so i think that creating that and actually quelling that ignorance and creating an informed sort of picture by using these months of visibility as a tool to sort of say this is what it is this is what it looks like this is how it impacts us but this is how but, but but this is the abilities that we do have these are the things we can do this is what we are able to achieve that that's really really important for us going forward because it shows that we are here we are people we are just as able maybe in slightly different ways but we are just as able as any other person any other man, woman, child, anyone, anybody in society, we're just as able, we have abilities, we can contribute to society, and we're here and we're proud of who we are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Nathan, from a mental health per perspective, from a more broader uh, scale, I wonder your thoughts on how mental health and the way we treated it in, in sports has evolved for the better, and how far do you think we still need to go i think that um you know we look at a lot of athletes okay who you look at all the pressure you know a lot of athletes have been working hard at their craft since they were under 10 years of age to get to the very top and that has to take a toll because we're talking about maybe being schooled away from home moving schools a lot moving home a lot being in different environments, never being able to build up friendships and things like that because you are not able to dedicate the time that you would use socially if you weren't in sport because you're training and working hard on perfecting your craft. I think there's a lot of challenges that actually go on that then ultimately lead to mental health challenges in the long run because these people have not been able to get some of the things that they need, you know. There's a really, really, really important important um psychological diagram by two guys ryan and deshi okay and these are two uh, sports psychologists i believe that have come up with this model and one of these things is relatedness and relatedness is one of the three most basic human needs and within relatedness we that is about the time that we spend with friends with family with people who charge us up who give us that and sometimes it's very very difficult to actually be able to do that when you're working a constant schedule, particularly when you're a young person who's trying to do your education and build up your athletic skills and abilities, uh, you know, at the same period of time. So in the long run, when these people get into their late teens, early 20s, 30s, you know, these, these, these people can have mental health challenges as a result of what they've experienced in their life up to date. And so it's really, really important. You know, we think about, um, you know, someone, I, I don't know how well the listeners of, of your podcast will know, Paul Gascoigne, the uh, footballer or soccer player from uh, England. He, you know, he has had terrible problems with uh, alcohol and mental health problems. 
Um, and, you know, he spent a lot of time in rehab. He's had a lot of a really, really tough time being an alcoholic. And you have to think that's that's from him being a product of his environment, growing up in a really, really tough working class area uh, as a young man and then being shot to stardom, being a star at a, at a football World Cup or soccer World Cup, and then getting a big move to Italy, big money move to Italy, and, and having so many differences in his life. Uh, from from what it would have been if he'd never become a professional athlete, where he'd have probably worked in a in a in a really tough manual labour job in a factory or down a mine or something like that, you know. So you have to think about the impact of someone like that being shot to stardom. And there's there's many many others and many many examples in many many different sports of people who achieve so much more, but it has a massive impact on their lives because they become millionaires and they don't know what to do with it and they've sacrificed all of their social relationships to become a star and it leaves them a little bit empty inside. So we have to really look at the mental health of athletes and the pressure that they're under, the strain that they're under from crowds and things like that. And, and the advent of social media, which is another thing, people can directly message people now and, and it can be hate-filled messages. So there's so much that we have to monitor and look at with athletes and referees and everybody who's involved in sport with the pressures of the modern world. Yeah, absolutely. And another tell me about the work that you do with uh, schools, colleges, and universities about the advancement of officiating. And I know that you try to communicate uh, positive messages uh, to those bodies of people. So tell me about the work that you do with those bodies and the goals that you uh, set when you do that work. So I think within education, a lot of the work that I'm doing is actually a little bit more about, um, you know, how 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 are we able to help people who are in high school, um, and then people who are going into college and university, um, trying to help them deal with a lot of the societal pressures at, at that time of their lives. You know, um, I think when we think about it and we reflect on it in a cold light of day, what we realise is that actually a lot of um, young people are making some huge decisions which are going to dictate the course of the rest of their lives at times between the ages of 15 and, and 20 years old. So, you know, that's a five-year period, but the, the decisions that you make in that period could have an impact for the next four or five decades of your life. So I think it's something that we, we really need to take on board and really need to think about um, is there's so much pressure from family, from friends, from loved ones about taking the right course to build the right careers going forward to, to be to be successful in life and um, there's a lot of societal pressures you know people having expectations it's not just about having the latest iphone but it's also about you know will you do some drugs drink and alcohol all of those things um you know the, the, there's so much pressure on them so much pressure from parents with regards to exams and future so much pressure from peers around are you cool enough to do this do you have the latest things will you try this all of those real challenges of of, of life and so we try to give them a lot of support around trying to deal with that and take that on board and and and, and also not and almost navigate that period um of, of life which can be incredibly difficult and giving them that support through the workshops that i deliver and yes you're you're absolutely right kevin there is a little bit of an element of me um actually i will sometimes give them advice about seeing if they're interested in taking up refereeing or not and 
and maybe it could be a good vehicle for them, help them. I think refereeing is is infinitely preferable to getting a shop, uh, to getting a job. Sorry, to getting a job in a shop than you know actually uh, basically working in the shop. It's better to run around and get paid some money for getting fit and refereeing some games. I always try to spin it that way for for them because you know you can control your schedule, you can control your time being a referee and. It's better than wasting your whole weekend working in a shop, is what I say. When you're a young person who needs a bit of pocket money, get a part-time job to, to sort of to do things right. So I think it's a good thing um, to be talking about officiating. But the main focus for me is absolutely helping them navigate all the pressures in societies that are on, uh, all the pressure, all the societal pressures that are on young people. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Nathan, you bring up the idea and the concept of pressure on officials, and I'm also fascinated to ask, ask you about the importance of creating a support system of people you can lean on as officials when things get uh, tough out there in the field and you have to deal with uh, disagree disagreements with players, uh, coaches, and fans. So tell me about the importance of building a support system and how important that is. Yeah, look, I think it's really important, Kevin. It's one of the big messages that I always try to produce um, from my workshops with groups of officials is I'm always trying to talk to them and trying to... I always try to work with the the local governing body or the local management body for officials to help me to point out to the officials how much support is out there. So <clears throat> if the officials have um, like a like a manager or a support officer, for example... Um, the uh, they, then I'm always encouraging them to speak to them. But what I'm also encouraging them to do is to try and build up a network so that if one uh, support mechanism is not available at any point in time, there's another one to fall back on. Because, you know, Kevin, I have to tell you, there is many, many times that officials need to be able to actually um, speak to somebody when they come off a pitch in distress. You know, that happens and that's a reality of life. So we need to have a support system in place and available for uh, officials. So I'm always looking at if one support mechanism is not available at any point in time for whatever reason, that there's a fallback and maybe even another fallback and another fallback so that there's many, many different options, many, many different people that can go to to get support. Um, and it's one of my key messages and key takeaways from uh, what I'm trying to do with my workshops. Yeah, absolutely. And and Nathan, no matter what uh, field of work you work in, you know, building relationships, I think, is the key to a life. You, you know, there's a sign in my office upstairs, Nathan, that says life is a constant game of networking. And, you know, when you're a, an official and you have to build relationships and rapport with uh, coaches, players, and fans, I think it's, one of the key cornerstones for success. So tell me about bu building relationships and rapport with the people you work with as officials and how important that is. Well, I think it's really important in, in, in two aspects, really, for an official. I think the first being is that you build a good relationship with, with, with your colleagues that you're going to be officiating with because ultimately you may be relying on them and you may be needing them to actually... Uh, help you to support you in making decisions on the field of play. You need to work as a team and be effective in terms of working as a team so that you can come to the right decisions together collectively 
because ultimately that's all that the players and the and the club officials and the spectators want is for the correct decisions to be made. Um, so that's that's very very important that you can try and build as good relationships as possible. But of course, refereeing is like any other profession. There's always going to be people who dislike other people within refereeing who may be jealous because of ability or may feel for whatever reason that they just don't like a colleague or whatever. And that happens in every walk of life, but it's about actually managing that effectively so that you can all do the job that you need to do to the best of your ability. I think that when I look at, uh, you know, the relationships that you build with the other people, the other stakeholders within the game, that's really, really important. You know, if you turn up at a ground to officiate a game, and you you have conversations with club officials, management, uh, physiotherapists, groundsman, whatever it might be, um, and then you 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 have a, a chat, maybe say something like "How's your season going?" and things like that. Then that that actually buys you a little bit of goodwill if there's maybe a slightly contentious decision. These things are really really important, um, you know, going forward because you might need that bit of goodwill. There might be a decision that you are your vision's blocked and you're not able to make a decision or you miss a challenge or something like that in a game. And and, and you're relying on that bit of goodwill from before the game to actually get you through. So those things are really, really important, those relationships building them. The other fact, which we all know as well, is that if you're officiating in a certain league, it's quite often the case that you will end up refereeing uh, certain teams more than once within one season. So you might need to build that relationship because you know you're going to have to come back and referee this team again later on in the season. So it always pays to have good relationships in every form and, and absolutely love the statement that you have in your office there, Kevin, about networking. It, it really is true. Yeah, absolutely. And Nathan, I, I'm fascinated to get your opinion on, you know, pay equality for officials because, uh, for example, in Canada... Uh, referees are, are paid as significantly less than they are in, in the United States, or um, I'm sure or you're dealing with that in England as well. And since you've worked on an international perspective, I'm curious to ask you about how do you think we can strike a balance of fair fairness and making sure that a officials are, you know, fairly compensated for the work that they do. I think that, you know, one of the things that we need to think about, you know, is is, is the sacrifices that, that are made because, you know, we're talking about uh, people who are doing a lot of work in the gym, perhaps, away from game days, uh, doing a lot of uh, travelling to and from games, long distances, which take long periods of time, cost a lot of money and fuel. Um, looking at the fact that, as you say, you know, the, there's a lot of officials taking a lot of abuse and a lot of stick. Um, and, and so I think that it, it is right that we fairly compensate officials for all of these factors that they're putting in and, and dedicating to it. Because I, I firmly believe that you, you, you don't have a game without match officials. And um, it's really, really important that we, we look after them, we make them feel well-treated and give them the respect that they deserve. And I would say that on the whole, most teams, I think that, you know, will do that at most levels. But you're always going to get that minority that are actually going to be the loudest, that are going to cause the problems, spread the hate, create division. 
So that's really, really important that we don't let them win, that we look after the referees and give them that good feeling um, that they want to keep officiating because it's no secret that when match officials meet adversity, their first instinct is to pack it in and think, I don't need this, I've got better things to do with my time. So we have to really, really look after and foster good relationships and protections and support for officials because they are what keeps the games running, keeps the games flowing, keeps everything working and moving in sports. And without sports, we couldn't have them because it would get all games would probably just descend into, you know, massive mass brawls that 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 would get us nowhere and achieve no results and 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 certainly see no sport and greatness from the from the players or the athletes on on the pitch. Yeah, there's certainly a role for an authority and rules speaker, for sure, my friend. And Nathan, tell me, I'm curious to ask you, why is this particular work passionate for you? Why are you excited to engage in conversation about this work every day? So where does your passion for this work come from, from a personal perspective? Well, I, I, you know, as I said, and, and as I've alluded to, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a football or soccer, as you guys may call it, referee um, in England. Uh, and I operate in the semi-professional game. And um, my first real sort of light bulb moment, if you want to call it that, realising that this service was required was when I was um, refereeing a game and things didn't go well. There was a big assault. Two players assaulted each other uh, in a game I was refereeing. And um, for one reason or another, not really anybody's fault, I didn't get the support that I needed. Um, and that meant that I felt very bad. I was in a dark place. I was having intrusive thoughts and flashbacks. And it affected me very, very much in a mental capacity for probably three or four days after the game, which is very unusual for me because... I'd refereed a lot of games prior to that. I'd seen a lot of things prior to that. I was pretty resilient naturally as a person, but I'd seen something that had affected me quite badly because the player that was assaulted actually ended up having a fit on the field of play. An ambulance came and the player was taken to hospital. Uh, the police arrested the other the other uh, player who'd assaulted him. So, you, you know, you, you can see this is a pretty serious uh, incident. And because I didn't get the support I, I needed, through no fault of anyone really in particular, it made me realise that you know the, that even people who are pretty resilient like me can can have ex exposure to more serious things and it can it can really knock them back. So I felt that 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 was something that I really wanted to fill that gap and wanted to get out there and support and create it because I think you know football association in England creates some wonderful technical training and development for referees, but where I felt they were maybe lacking a little bit was in uh, their psychological support, performance support, things like that for officials. And I wanted to be the man that could come along and 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 um, and fill that gap and help referees perform. And by setting up my services and obviously really probably COVID helped me a little bit in terms of being able to reach out and speak to people across the world like I'm speaking to you in Canada now. I have clients all over the world that I, that I work with Um and I'm able to speak, you know, I'm able to speak to Australia in the morning and the US and Canada in the evening and, and, and Europe in the middle of the day. And that that's the beauty of, of being able to help people and, and to, to work with people um, in this way. So 
I've I've really really enjoyed that, and um, you know I've I've really enjoyed what I've been doing, and and it's really come from that one thing that happened nearly five years ago now. Well, well, life life has a funny way of giving us perspective, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely, and you know that I'm going to combine my next uh, question into two because they're interrelated. So. Uh, I'm curious to find out from you, what do you predict is the future of the officiating uh, profession? And what, what sort of questions do you think people should ask themselves before they commit their uh, sort of professional life to, to getting into offici officiating at any level? What are your thoughts there? Well, I think that probably the future, um, certainly in professional level sports, is, is is with technology. So I think technology helps us in, in many, many ways. Um, it can be a real tool for success. You know, in many of the top sports in the world, we're using video technology to help officials do their job properly, to help them see the things that they may not be able to see in real time because they're happening so quickly and there's such fine margins. Um, as a as, as for, for people who may be considering taking up officiating and, and thinking about what it's going to do in their lives and what it's going to mean for them, um, I think you need to think about, are you the type of person that, that when confrontation meets you, which is an inevitability in officiating, you can handle that, you can keep your head, you can remain calm, you can remain focused, you can, you know... Um, execute and apply the laws of, 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 the, of the game that you are uh, officiating, that you, you're you a very calm person, but also that you're a very committed person because, you know, to take a lot of challenge, which you're going to take from players, club officials, spectators, that's going to be part of it. But also you're going to be making a lot of long journeys, potentially on your own midweek nights when, you know, to be quite frank, you could be curled up on the sofa watching TV, chilling out and, and you're making that commitment and that's kind of the life that you, you're putting yourself on if you want to take a full career and climb the ladder and be, be successful as an official. So I think that there's a lot of um, a lot of factors that you need to take on board when you choose officiating as a pursuit because there are a lot of commitments and a lot of uh, sacrifices that you have to make, family events, things that you might miss. So it is really, really challenging and it's a very big balancing act. So it's something that you know, I, I wouldn't. I would say needs to be really taken quite lightly. Yeah, Sorry, not be taken quite lightly, Kevin. Not taken quite lightly. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Nathan, since you brought it up, well, I ask you uh, for your thoughts on how do you think co uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic has sort of rethought uh, re the way that we look at officiating in sports and general. General, so I'm wondering your thoughts there as well. Well, it was a very bad thing at first, Kevin. It was a very bad thing at first because what actually happened and what we certainly noticed in, in the UK was that uh, in the period of time that everyone was in lockdown and, and not able really to leave their homes for more than an hour a day, which is what the UK uh, policy was on, on COVID when the, 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 the um, virus first uh, broke out, a lot of pent-up rage, a lot of pent-up energy came out. And what we actually found was that players came out and they were very aggressive. Games were almost a bloodbath. What we noticed was that, that referees were being assaulted. There was 
a lot of bad things that came out of the of, of the initial first month or two of of, of the resumption of, of of certainly football or soccer, as you would say, uh, in, in in England, and, and because of this this pent up rage that I say, and so it actually caused us quite a lot of problems. Um, and I don't actually think that there have been too many. Um, positives that have changed the game fundamentally uh, that have come from it, actually. I mean, I talk about, you know, one of the good uh, situations that I've had with my business in terms of being able to reach clients in all corners of the globe, in in all corners of the globe, in every continent. But actually, the reality is, I, uh, I don't think it's actually really helped the game too much. It it certainly uh, has caused us to think about our approach hasn't it definitely um i think we we need to probably understand the fragility of life because of the amount of people that died uh that maybe uh, would not have died otherwise and we need to be incredibly lucky that we have the fitness and the health that we have uh you know now going through this period and also we need to guard against absolutely the the potential for for trouble uh, that can come from infection spreading and things like that in the future. You know, we, we, what we now realise is that we were very lucky uh, in, in times gone by with things like Ebola and things that they didn't become global pandemics like like coronavirus did. And we need to be very much aware of that and 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 and, and you know absolutely consider ourselves incredibly lucky uh, to have what we have. And we sh- we should be more respectful and more thoughtful about playing sport and how lucky we were able to do that because you know a lot of people got seriously seriously ill during that time and then they may be affected forever as a result of that or, or they may not be with us anymore as a result of that so we have to think about how lucky we are to be able to do what we're doing and to have a relative normality in life again yeah absolutely and then i've got two questions left for you and the first is no matter what a level of officiating you enter, of course, we've talked about the ability to sort of manage confrontation as an official and sort of provide an equal playing field, I, I think is one of the, the most fundamentally important things an official can do. So talk to me about the importance of managing confrontation and uh, on the flip side, what do you think is the most rewarding part about being an official? I think that um, that managing confrontation is incredibly difficult. Um, it's one of the biggest challenges that you have as, a, as, a, as an official, full stop. Um, but I think that the, 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 the thing that you need to be to be good at doing is being able to manage situations manage people put things into perspective for players too you know say little things and having little quips in your in your armory like being able to say look your team's not going to benefit from being a man down are they if you don't sort of stop what you're doing things like that puts things into perspective can also sometimes put players in their place and make them think actually do you know what I don't want to be sent off here because my teammates are not going to be very happy about that so things like that can be really really significant in the way that you manage people and manage it and and certainly what you say and the way that you say it has a massive impact on um how able you are to to actually manage things successfully 
So I think that's a big thing about conflict and, and confrontation. I think with regards to you asking me about what is the most rewarding thing about officiating, well, I actually think it's about having the best seat in the house to be involved in a game that you love. You know, if you're not able to be a player and you get the opportunity to officiate your favourite sport, then you have the best seat in the house for seeing the game being played out, for being involved. And I think probably the greatest thing for, for an official is to get a big decision correct. It's as good as scoring a goal or scoring points or touchdown or whatever you want to say. Um, you know, it's like getting a three-pointer in basketball. You you really, really get that buzz from making a big decision correct in a game and getting that right and being able to actually achieve the successful goals of delivering a game successfully and getting handshakes from the players and the club officials saying, thanks, ref, you've done a good job today. We really appreciate it. And and that, that's the absolute best thing that you can do, um, you know, up there, obviously, with hopefully good performances like that culminating in promotions and cup finals at the end of a season um, of, of, of successful performances, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Nathan, my final question for, for you is how I uh, conclude all of my podcasts. And I'm curious to ask you, when you look at your life from a personal and professional standpoint, for you personally, how do you want your legacy to be defined? Well, I hope, Kevin, that I've got a little bit more time to shape my legacy before it's time for me to uh, to be remembered by people. But um, but I certainly do feel that um, what I would like people to think, certainly looking at where I am now, twenty five years old, would be I'd like I'd like people to be looking at me and thinking this is somebody who's tried to help people to develop themselves as human beings but also tried to help people who maybe needed that support because they uh, had neurodiversity and they had some challenges with neurodiversity they needed support with. Um, you know, that, that's been a big part of my life in the last four or five years in particular. But really for me, the big thing in my life professionally, you know, has been about trying to just help people, develop people, support people. I, I Whenever I was growing up, I wanted to do a job that made an impact and, and had a legacy and could be seen as positive. And, you know, you think about what can you do? How can, can you be a doctor? You know, I maybe wasn't quite right for that or whatever it might be. You, you think about everything you can possibly do. From a personal perspective, I would like my legacy to be that I was a good friend, a trusted friend, somebody that people could pick up the phone to and speak with and, and enjoy good times with and have a laugh with and, you know, take the mickey out of and and, and have that level of, 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 of jokes and jovialness and fun because, you know, um, life is, is fleeting and we want to just have good memories. Um, you know, it's like Jose Mourinho, uh, the football manager, said, you know, you, 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 you are loved until the... Sorry, you're remembered until the last person who loved you is gone. And so you want that memory to last and I want people to be thinking about me and thinking about me being a good influence and a positive influence on their life uh you know when it's time for my legacy to be to be written yeah absolutely and finally Nathan tell me if people want to get uh, uh connected with you or the good work that you do to support officials tell me what's the best way they can do that so there's a couple of really good ways to do it um I'm a big user of LinkedIn so uh, my name will be on the podcast here, Nathan Sherratt. 
please please send me a connection request on LinkedIn. Send me a message. It'd be great to speak and reach out with people. But I would also really urge people to um, to visit my website, my business's website, thethirdteam.co.uk. Um, and if you if you visit that page, you'll see that in the blog page we have. Just over 200 blogs. Last week went past the 200th blog mark. We've been doing a blog every year for over four years now. And um, every week, sorry, for over four years now. There's over 200 blogs every Friday uh, at 5 o'clock UK time. So if you're on the Eastern time zone in the US, that's going to reach you at 12 o'clock uh, on a Friday lunchtime. Um, and it's something that I really uh, would encourage people to visit the bottom of the homepage on the Third Team website and sign up to receive that blog Hopefully some really, really good tips about all aspects of officiating, but also mental toughness, mental health and well-being and resilience. Um, and of course, people can 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 follow the third team on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. We have a page um, and there's also a contact page on the, on the website, the third team.co.uk for people to to reach out and send me a, a message to my email as well. Fantastic. Well, Nathan, I really want to thank you for uh, bringing your passion and enthusiasm and expertise to the field of officiating and trying to make sports a more inclusive and welcoming place for officials and everyone involved. Your work in the space, my friend, and Tom on my behalf is most appreciated, and I want to thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. It's been a real pleasure to join you.